When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Your ears do not deceive you. You've just entered the Cryptid Creator Corner brought to you by your friends at Comic Book Yeti. So without further ado, let's get on to the interview. Hello and uh, welcome to another episode of Comic Book Yeti's Cryptid Creator Corner. I am one of your hosts, Jimmy Gasparro, and I have a really great episode today. I am very excited to speak with the author behind such a uh, Great graphic novels as Lavas de Mayo, Tata Rambo, Helm Grey Castle, and uh, so many other projects that he has coming out. Uh, please welcome uh, to the program Henry Barajas. Henry, how are you doing today? Hey, I'm I'm good. You know, I'm. We were just talking off air that I had a, a bike ride yesterday, and despite the soreness, I, I feel great. Post twenty three miles. Wow, well, that's uh, I'm I'm glad you feel great. Twenty three miles is that's that seems like a lot. I don't. Uh... It, it, yeah, it used to be a minimum. I used to do thirty miles. I used to do like as much as I could. Mm -hmm. uh, pandemic. Yeah, the one of the best things that happened to me during the pandemic was finding cycling, and it was a lot easier when no one was driving around. Yeah, I bet. I bet <laughs> it was safer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I've been a runner for a, a while now. Um, but finally at like 43, I, I started, uh, cycling on the like stationary bike that's behind it's me. Peloton? In, in my, it's, I think it's actually a Nordic track, but yeah, it's something similar. It's my cool. wife's, but she got it. I started using it, uh, because things, things started to fall apart because I would run almost every day or you know, do three miles, like at least five times a week. And then first it was my calf and then my knee. And then I was like, I, maybe I should find mm -hmm. something that's a little less yeah. intense. Yeah. You got a low impact stationary workout that that's pretty good. I think you, I think you're in, in I think that's a good move. Yeah. And, uh, it's still very challenging and, uh, yeah, I, I enjoy it, but I, I, I haven't gotten out too much, like on the road, actually on a bike in a long, uh, long time, but love, I, I love guess that. It. Yeah, that's the next step for me, I think. Good, good, yeah. So, um, I'm not in preparing for this, and I do like to try and prepare a, a little bit at least, mm -hmm. uh, to try and find some time so I, I at least, uh, either have some good questions or know what I'm talking about a little bit. Um, but with you, I'm, I'm kind of not sure where to start because, um, <laughs> there's so many fascinating things to talk about um because i was not familiar with your comic book about with uh with uh about tata rambo which was your yeah. great grandfather um was fascinating an unbelievable story um uh i've read i've read helm gray castle which uh i'm a, a huge fan of um, thank you and you know all the other things that you have have coming out and have been working on 
you um, had a story in Batman Urban Legends number 18 where you um, not only wrote Batman, but uh, one of my favorite characters, Etrigan, the demon, and Jason Blood, you got to write. And, and now you're working on Beyondtopia Legends. Um, I think uh, Creep Show number four, I think you said you had you, on that yeah, one, as I have well a story as on that. House of Slay. And I mean, just. Um, yeah, in addition, I, I, the the Gil Thorpe as well. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, it's my favorite job of all time. I, I mean, so uh, I was just like, I, you know, and and plus the other jobs you've had in the comic book industry. I mean, um, even before then, I mean, you were a, a journalist. You worked for the Arizona Daily Star, the Tucson Weekly. You've worked for Top Cow Productions. Um, I mean, you've done so many things uh, with in comics um uh i'm just uh and and you're i feel like i I think you're you're much much younger than me and i'm always so impressed when i meet somebody who seems to be so accomplished in addition your advocacy for the things that you care about whether it's indigenous communities or um the latin community uh it's uh very impressive um but uh, so I I'm, I want to start here and then we can talk about all the projects you're sure, coming out. Because sure. one of the things I'm most fascinated about and why we call this the cryptid creator corner uh, is I like to talk about why folks choose creative endeavors, why they want to tell stories in particular and mm-hmm. comics specifically. So, I mean, what? Why did you first enter a, a field or want to get into storytelling generally? I was uh, just recently at Tucson Comic Con talking to someone I look up to and someone who's been very kind to me, uh, Brian Polito, the creator of Lady Death. And he said, comics picks you. And I feel like there's a lot of weight to that. And I mean, it's just one of those things where I just, when I saw comics, I could see the other parts of it. I could see these things that I really enjoyed. And it just really fostered my love of reading. And I feel very grateful for that. But I don't know why, but writing has been the only thing I'm good at. You know, I, whenever I look at numbers, I just wince, you know, and mm-hmm. And it's just something that I feel good about. I just love to tell a story. I love the rhythm of words. I love doing things with the medium that is comics. Um, But I also did stand-up comedy for four years. So there was a, you know, I think with the rhythm of speaking and and just like marrying the, the words and the pictures together of having that in my life is kind of one of the only things I ever thought I'd ever get joy from because I I didn't go to college. I didn't, you know, I didn't really ever have a high paying career. Um, So I never thought I'd amount to anything. And I just would do these things because it makes me feel good, you know, and I'm very lucky to have had the opportunities that I have without the kind of pedigree a lot of people have. And um like I, like I said earlier, I think the I think the medium picks you. I think there's sometimes no escaping it, and Lord knows I've tried. Okay, um, so what type of comic were you a fan of comics, and what type of comics? Like as a kid, what type did you read, and did you get into? 
Yeah, I mean, um, like it. I think it really started with comic strips in the newspaper. I've always been a reader. Like, uh, you know, I was always told to read, even like the ingredients behind the shampoo bottle. You know, and one of my favorite ritual daily rituals was was getting the paper and reading it with my great grandmother, and she would get the newspaper and only read the obituaries. And she would joke to herself and say, I love reading the obituaries to see which one of my friends died and laugh after that every single time. Mm-hmm. And I would take, I would take, you know, I would read the, the headlines and read the local news and then skip over to the editorial cartoonist, David Fitzsimmons, who's a legend, like a father figure and a mentor to me when I worked at the Arizona Daily Star and in comedy and in life. And then I'd read this, the funnies, the Monday through like the weekday funnies and then you'd get the Sunday funnies. So I was reading a lot of like Snoopy and Dilbert and Ziggy and, and, um, and I just loved those comics, you know? And I think that that was one of like, that was my first kind of constant in my life. And then my parents were, uh, they were thrifters. They would buy um, stuff and they would try to sell it again through uh, yard sales and uh, at the swap meet, also known as flea market, depending on where part of the country you live. And they were also uh, avid uh, antique roadshow watchers. And they would get boxes of comics because Tucson, Arizona, where I'm from, is a, um, a college town. So kids would leave for college or they would come in and buy all these comics and leave them at their family's house or just leave them. And there, as you know, the '90s was a very um, like conflicted time for comics because people thought if they bought these comics, they were going to be worth thousands of dollars and they'll be able to rest on their loins because of the death of Superman or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so my parents were always asking me to appraise these comics. So I would like look at the spines, look at the like quality. And just be like, nope, none of these are worth anything. And I would read them. And I don't think they ever, my family were not, they're not readers. And my mom is, yeah, like sometimes a, I'll give her a book and she'll really like it. But um, it's very rare that anyone read in my house. And I was always reading comics. So I just, um, I just wouldn't stop. And, and when I was young, very young, five years old, my teacher had a meeting with my parents and was like, hey, your kid can read. We don't know how, we don't know why, but he's like following along. And I just feel very lucky that comics were, you know, gave me that conduit to like be able to have joy and <laughs> and enjoy my life in a way, you know. Mm-hmm. I think I answered your question. No, he definitely did. Okay. Um, <laughs> and so <laughs> did you ever take a break from from reading comics? Or have you, has it been a consistent thing in your life? Um, it was, it was, I mean, the unfortunate part, the unfortunate break I took was when my parents divorced and I had to work full time and mm-hmm. I didn't have access to get to a comic book store because when I was a child, as you remember, uh, you could go to the gas station and get comics, you know, and that's what was one of my favorite things to do. And um, so when my parents got divorced, I didn't have the you know, the uh, expendable income to be able to go and buy comics because I was supporting my mom, my sister, 
at the age of 16. And one day it was like Memorial Day weekend. And like one of those veteran, like Mondays, like one of those Monday holidays, I went to get our dinner for my family and, and I was mm-hmm. getting some pizzas. Uh, and then there was a comic store next to it. And there was a, just a sea of long boxes. And the last things I was reading was like Spider-Man and this guy, Charlie Harris, who has been one of my best friends and one of the most important people in my life that, you know, gave me my first free tickets to San Diego Comic-Con and Phoenix Comic-Con and so many different other, I've never thankfully ever had to pay for a convention ticket admission. And I keep it that way. (laughs) So, uh, (laughs) So it was just like, yeah, so it was good to have comics back in my life after I'm going to say probably one or two years where I didn't have it consistently because Mm -hmm. um, I was that wizard reader, comics journal reader. I was that kid who like took comics way too seriously and did not really care about school much. Um, And I think it has helped me in the long run. And so how did you then turn that, you know, love of comics into, um, you know, a career in comics, actually working for like a comic book company? Um, Well, it was one of those things where I was a uh, dedicated listener to John Wordbloom's podcast, John Suntress's podcast. Yeah, fantastic podcast. Yeah, and before I was, I made a couple comics, one called El Loco that was about a Mexican superhero that fought the Chupacabra in racial profiling. And it was at a time when Governor Jam Brewer signed into law a uh, SB 1070 that allowed local law enforcement to stop and ask uh, people of their, uh, their, their citizen status. So that was a law targeted uh, to the Brown community, um, which was predominantly Hispanic or predominantly, predominantly South of the Arizona border. And um, so I did a comic like that and it was just, it was my first comic. It wasn't very good, but it was beautifully drawn by Arnie Bermudez, who was an editorial cartoonist at the Tucson Citizen at the time. And then uh, my best friend and I, Christian Valera, we, we did a comic called Captain Unicorn and I couldn't get it sold to any con- convention, like any comic book publisher wouldn't touch it. And I decided to, I was, you know, I was listening to, comic book uh comic word balloon and i heard an interview with nick spencer and john suntress and they were talking about how you know if you all want to be a comics creator you really have to live your life and you have to have a perspective and i did have like a a kernel of that something really you know i think like as it's bled into my life and my activism of like you know, doing stories with people of color that followed through. But, you know, I got to be, you know, a, I got, got to co-organize the first jazz festival in Tucson, Arizona. I got to, uh, you know, work for two different newspapers. I got to be a radio DJ. I got to be a stand-up comedian. And I got to um, do a lot of things that I think brought a lot of people in my life. I worked for a city bank for four years. And I think that gave me a lot of perspective on what people and families and what society really is. I mean, not entirely, you know, I'm always learning and, and trying to do better. But right. when it came time, when I was writing for Comics Beat for four years, 
Then I got a, a gig with Top Cow Productions. And I was, and I promised myself, I'm going to publish something through Top Cow because I've always wanted to publish something through Image. I should have aimed higher in life, I think. And um, it, it worked out, you know? And I am very grateful to have had the six years at Top Cow Productions to have learned every aspect of the business because this, there is no comic book business school. You know, there is comic book art schools, um, but that doesn't even guarantee you a career. And mm-hmm. I think there is a level of um, kind of like hardship that you have to endure in the comic book business because it's not, you know, the margins are so small and you um, really have to kind of become a Swiss army knife and be able to do a lot of different things. And that all, all, all of that in the comic book industry really fascinates me. It's, it's such a unique place. and. Um, and it was all in the service to tell my own stories. And so, um, when you, when you start to tell some of your own stories in comic books and you come to something like, uh, Love Astamayo with, with Tata Rambo, how did that start out in terms of, had you heard stories about, it was your great grandfather, right? Yeah. Had, had you heard stories about your great grandfather growing up and started to in- investigate it more and then, um, you know, how, how did you kind of start to piece all of that kind of family history together? Yeah. So when I was a kid, everyone respected my great grandfather um, and said he did amazing things. His name is Ramon Jaurigue. He was a World War II veteran and a Chicano activist that helped one of the last Native American tribes gain federal recognition. Mm-hmm. And this was the Pasquayaki uh, tribe. And I, my, my great grandmother was Pasquayaki. And her kids are, so my my grandfather and my um, my great grandfather Ramon, he was married to my great grandmother, and they lived um, in what is now known as Old Pasqua, which was a part of Arizona that the Yaquis had to escape to because they were at war with the Mexican government and they were not welcomed in Mexico. And then uh, the problem that they had with the city of Tucson was they were considered Mexican. Um, but my great grandfather co-founded the, uh, La Voz de Mayo, the voice of a Mexican American Yaqui other and the group of community. And a lot of people in that group, uh, and people at large, uh, protested and worked with local, um, uh, local, uh, civil servants like Congressman, uh, Mo Goodall, and Senator uh, Dennis DeConcini, and they were able to gain um, status as a Native American, recognized Native American tribe. And a lot of those details were not given to me as a kid, and I was very interested. And I, my great grandfather was in and out of the VA, and I was getting, I was worried I wasn't going to get historian time. And my great grandmother already had passed away, and I was kind of at the end of my rope. You know, like I had lost my job as a journalist. Uh, the paper I was working for was purchased by um, a, an advertorial uh, newspaper organization that saw no value in paying for uh, paying as journalists. They thought it would, uh, they thought that just having a byline was good enough for you anyway. And so I was let go. And I was writing his biography, and something, uh, a book came, came out called March by Congressman um, J- 
John Lewis and Andrew Aiden and Nate Powell. And I read that and was like, oh, I can do this story like this, you know? Mm -hmm. And it was kind of a culmination of everything. Like I had studied the medium, I've studied the business, I've studied crowdfunding. And I took all of that and poured it into this story that I needed to tell. It was something that lived with me for five years. There wasn't a single day or a single moment I did not wake up thinking about my my great grandfather and his intentions and his words and the things he did for the community and how sad it was that it wasn't properly documented. And as soon as it came out, November 2019, it it kind of left with me. You know, like I, I call it my my college kid. I poured thirty thousand dollars into it. It left the nest and it never calls. Uh, and so, I mean, um, I mean, do you have plans to do like something like more with that? I mean, do you take that when you go to conventions to still kind of yeah make sure it continues to get out there? Yeah, I mean, um, just recently, this might be breaking news for you, but the La Vosa Mayo that was drawn by Jay Gonzo, lettered by Bernardo Bryce, edited by Claire Napier and Elena Salcedo, published by Top Cow Productions and helped with Matt Hawkins. Um, it's being incorporated into the uh, New York public education curriculum for social studies for um, the next decade. And kids in New York, oh, wow. in the largest school district in the world, um, will learn about my great-grandfather's accomplishments and read the comic we made. Um, it's getting to a point now where... Um, it's 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 like people are asking me to sign it instead of buy it from me, which is a good thing. And it's being incorporated in a lot of different um, curriculums, like uh, mm-hmm. um, my friend Amy's, who uh, she is a teacher at the uh, Cal State Long Beach and has that in her uh, comics course curriculum. Uh, D'Souza is her last name. And... Um, yeah, it's just it's just one of those books that like is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, it is the mm-hmm. book that I'm most proud of. Like, I will always like. I I feel like I hope that's the first sentence in my obituary. You know, um, so right. it's just one of those things where I I use that as a platform to be like, here are the kinds of stories we should tell. And this is like yeah. 54 years ago at this point that this happened, and there's just so many different accomplishments by brown people in this country that I'm looking forward to telling with the comic medium. And yes, I do have plans to do more um, material like that. And it's going to be in partnership with the uh, New York public education department. Well, that's fantastic. Thank you. I mean, yeah, I, I I know you, you also do a lot in terms of like advocating with, you know, libraries and, and things along those lines and like the educational component of it. I'm always amazed when there's stories like real historical stories that I come across or hear about or friends bring up that, um, we were never taught when I say we, like, I feel like I'm 43, like my generation was never taught and we should have been, you know, and there's, and it's this. It's amazing to me. I mean, I, I had, I mean, I, how many folks mentioned like, I like real people, friends that I know that are college educated who didn't know about Tulsa 
and the massacre in Tulsa until they watched the Watchmen show on HBO. Um, but there's so many stories that not, aren't even horrific or, or heroic that, you know, aren't taught in schools and should be. Definitely. Um, and, 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 and I like to say that Mouse, not Mouse, well, Mouse is an important book. Um, but March is one of the most important comics mm -hmm. of all time. It really opened the floodgates that is libraries and educational spaces. And the man, he loved, he loved it. He did a march at San Diego Comic-Con. He held children's hands as they walked to the panel. You mm -hmm. know, like, I get really teary-eyed when I even think about him. I got to meet him at the Eisner's when he won. And oh wow, I, yeah, like I just I am so grateful for not only the civil accomplishments, like the civil, the lifelong civil service and the important things he did for this country and for voting rights, but also just to make make it easier for me to sell and make comments like this because it's really important to me. Yeah, and I, I think it's really important because it's a. I think it's a fantastic way to read and to learn. I mean, I love the medium of of comics. I love comics, and I, I love um, the, the past few years in particular. Are just you know, difficult hearing about whether or not it's a school district or a local library being under attack for certain comic books, like Gender Queer and others that are that are on their shelves. Um, is you know, yeah, no, I mean, I is awful. I, it is, and. It's scary and it is disgusting. And I'm very grateful uh, for I got to work with Maya Kobe at my brief time at Oni Press. And mm -hmm. I could not imagine the kind of stuff the era was going through. And I'm very grateful for folks like Jeff Trexler, uh, a champion of the First Amendment, and uh, how he was able to, with the help of everyone at Comic Book Legal Defense Fund, to defend to have a very of historic win against against Virginia and uh it's not yep. going to end there it's only going to get worse and um I think it's very important for us to um make sure people are listening and reading and and know about these things i mean i mean here's like my water bottle you know of like the comic book legal defense fund you know it's it's a constant uh presence in my life to Make sure I'm doing my best to uh, advocate for those who are having the misfortune of being banned and targeted by these um, these extremists. Yeah, and and sometimes nowadays, more often than not, it's not. I mean, we think the view is extreme, but it's folks that sometimes don't hold any other like particularly extreme views. It's creeping into the mainstream, is what I'm saying, and it's that's even more frightening yeah um but to pivot uh away a little bit to something like you know helm Greycastle, and the other projects you have coming out um so why don't you talk to me a little bit about how it ended up um you know with you working on something like like batman urban legend and getting to write etrigan um so i i I mean, one of the best things I've ever did for my comic book career was move to Los Angeles. Um, I moved here back in 2015 when 
DC Comics went from New York to Burbank. Mm-hmm. And unknowingly, I came here to work on a movie with my friends Patrick Meany and Jordan Renner at Respect Films, who recently just put out an amazing documentary about cosplay. They put a they also did a uh important comic book documentary on my one of my favorite writers, Grant Morrison. And they were very kind to like, you know, really help me come here and be, uh, you know, uh, in L.A. So I, I, you know, had some odd jobs. I worked for uh, an author out of his garage in the Hollywood Hills and then finally got my job at Top Cow, which gave which sent me all around the country. And I was able to meet all these creators and industry legends and foster these relationships with retailers and publishers and editors and publicists and, and all these different kinds of people and made me a, a mainstay in the, in the comic book industry. Cause uh, I mean, I would see Stan Lee more than I saw my family, you know, in a given year because we were at the same shows all the time. I saw him, mm-hmm. you know, just driving his little wheelchair across the, <laughs> like he had a giant wheelchair, actually. I mean, it was, just fun to be like, Oh yeah, that's Stanley and not like freak out. You know, it was like, mm-hmm. that is a guy that I see at work all the time, you know? Right. And um, being in LA, I made it a point to have comics around me constantly. And I'm very fortunate that a lot of the people in this industry are really cool, fun, and just uh, at this point, uh, like found family. And I was very lucky to have been introduced to Ben Abernathy, who's the executive editor at DC Comics and has done incredible things and gave me my break to do Batman and Etrigan and the Demon. And they asked me to write an Etrigan Batman team up story. And I was very, very excited. And I don't know if you saw La Voz de Mayo or read it, but there is a lot of research behind it. And I <laughs> just can't do anything without just learning so much about a thing. So I, I, I did a deep dive on, on Etrigan the Demon and read a lot of Alan, late great Alan Grant work. And I read the original Jack Kirby run and pulled a lot of uh, deep cuts and had just wanted to do a Batman story that I could go back and just love, you know, mm-hmm. my Batman. I mean, if I, I hope if anyone reads it and if anybody like, you know, gets a chance to check it out and I hope you do, it's online. It's also, you could probably buy it at your comic shop if they ordered it, but it's sold out now. Um, he says the Etrigan, the demons, uh, stepbrother, Lord, or no, his real brother, Lord Scapegoat, asked Batman, how does he expect to kill a demon like Lord Scapegoat? And, he's, and Batman replies, I've been fighting demons my whole life. And that was just my get, my love and my everything to what Batman has been to me. He is, the, he is like my Jesus. And I have used him as a moral compass in this world to mm-hmm. know right from wrong and and the uh, batman the animated series i mean you can't see it but i have multiple batman the animated memorabilia and action figures and the loss of kevin conroy was a a really big thing for me this year i mean a lot of loss in general but but yeah i was i feel very lucky and i and i have all i think i have all the thanks and, and gratitude to ben abernathy 
my editor, uh, Dave Wilgus and, uh, and, uh, co-editor, uh, Jessica Burbe. And, I, I, and, um, uh, uh, Dave McCraig and, uh, Han, uh, Hans, uh, from uh, panel by panel and strip yeah. Panel. yeah yeah Hassan lettered it right Hassan. Um, yeah yeah um yeah I really liked it really enjoyed it um, <laughs> I'm glad I love the bit I mean there's there there are a couple of lines a bit of uh like humor to it uh, uh, as well um uh yeah I I thought it was really good I really I really very much enjoyed it um I yeah uh, I just, you know I I, I my idea and I've, I've read. Ed Brubaker say this, but his Batman is not a tortured soul. And that was one of the notes I got. Like, in my idea, Batman doesn't enjoy being Batman, but he doesn't hate it. Mm -hmm. And that was what I was trying to get across. Yeah. Yeah, I really liked it. I really enjoyed it. I I like Etrigan. I like, um, I I like, uh, I'm a big fan of just about anyone that has ever tackled, you know, that character. yeah, it's not easy. And uh, now, now I think that would be one of the more intimidating and difficult tasks. Not only, you know, as a comic book fan, uh, to have to write Batman and bring something new to a character like that that has had so many, you know, different creators touch that character, and but then also Etrigan, um, not an enviable task. And I thought he did an amazing <laughs> job. Yeah, no, I, I loved it. I loved every minute of it. And I was writing at the same time I was writing a COVID comic for Marvel in the city of New York sponsored mm-hmm. by Soma's healthcare and funny or die. Uh, it, it, Jack Kirby has done so much for me in my comic book career and my life that I am internally grateful for, to that man and to write Etrigan and write the Avengers at the same time was just such a beautiful moment in my life that I'll never forget. Yeah, that's that's awesome, Henry. That Thank really you. is. And um, some of the other things you mentioned you have coming up, um, you're working on uh, Beyondtopia Legends. Yes. Uh, so, which is uh, so many different creators involved in that one. Um, tell me about that. Yeah, so if you'd like to tell them Greg Castle, uh, Brian Valenza and I uh, have entered this like this partnership as business as storytellers and business partners and as like family you know when he was here for new york comic-con he flew to la and i picked him up and his kid and his wife and took him out to eat and you know made sure they got to their hotel all right because they're they're flying from jakarta and and brian is the, the brain trust of all this he put it all together he is he is a, you know, he's a right, he's a comics writer, and this is another way to explore that. But every, mm-hmm. this is a Beyondtopia universe of heroes. This is um, being put out through uh, Fair Square Comics, and each, it, it's three um, anthologies, three issues, and it, it's going to have five uh, stories in each issue. And this is just us establishing these stories, so we can come back to and tell them a greater length um, and be able to own our own stuff and be able to tell the kinds of stories we want to tell. Um, the one I find that's near and dear to my heart is Belly Grossa. She is basically El Loco, but in 2022 and it, I'm having a, 
you know, what that was um, drawn by Sammy Basir, who's incredible, who does, um, are, uh, who does like is working on Catwoman right now. And uh, that was lettered by uh, Dave Lampier at uh, Larger World Studios. And um, yeah, it's just nice to be able to have fun with it. Because other than um, other than uh, Peligrosa and Issue 2 comes out in January, that one, uh, there's, a, there's a story called Stockholm that features the, this uh, Indonesian uh, ghost woman that like... That like will take a kid that's in like a bad household and like nurture them, and it was kind of a scary story that Indonesian families tell to their kids like, oh, if you don't, if you don't do what you you're supposed to do, this woman's gonna take you and make you her kid. And um, I I wrote that soup to nuts, but all the other stories are already drawn, and Brian basically Marvel styled it, and it's it's up to me to like connect it and make it into a a more cohesive story um, from a, a reading st- standpoint, which has been a challenge, but a lot of mm-hmm. fun to, you know, work my way backwards and give every character their own, their own flavor. And now with something like um, a creep show, um, have you done a lot of uh, like horror stories before? I no, I haven't. And I love horror movies and I love, you know, I just love that. I love the mood that you get that that is implied in horror movies that is through the music and through the dialogue and through the visuals and the juxtaposition of all that. And I have, I've always wanted to, you know, be more in, in horror and Creepshow is a book that I love, you know, Bernie Wrightson, one of my favorite comic book artists, you know, uh, did the original series and uh, my friend, John Moisen got me on involved and then he left skybound, but, uh, it was uh, passed off to my good friend, Alex Antone, who really helped me flesh this story out. It's called uh, the, uh, the, uh, so the Casa de Mo- uh, Muerta? No, no the, uh, no, uh, La Mascara de Muerta. So the, de- the, ma- the death mask. And it's about wrestling, which I'm a huge wrestling fan. And it's like a Locha Libre horror story about this woman who gets unmasked in the ring and her family is all uh, wrestlers and her father and her uncle died in the ring. And there's this like mystery behind what happened because there are no survivors except for her abuela who claims to have seen like a ghost or some apparition and no one believes her because she's this old lady this abuela and, and it, I don't know, are you, what's your nationality? Like, are you, I am, uh, I'm, I'm Italian and Irish and English. And, um, my grandfather swears we're some portion native American, but I have no idea if that's true or not. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm assuming everybody's like, you know, family embellishes on stories. So no one really believes the old woman. They think that, you know, they were killed in the ring by the mob or something. And she believes that this mask possessed him and killed everyone in the room. So she's like, if you wear this, you're going to, this is going to have the same things going to happen to you. And she doesn't care and takes it and goes back and tries to win her belt back. And, mm-hmm. um, but it was a lot of fun to 
do what I love about horror. And I think what's interesting about horror is it's the visuals and it's the things that that in your especially within comics, in your mind, you're gonna take it take it a step further. You know, when you see a shadow kill someone like, you know, like Psycho, when you see that happening and you see the shadows and you see the like, you don't see the actual stabbing, your mind is making that connection, you know? Right. One of my, yeah, one of my favorite movies that my sister and I grew up watching as children was Scarface and uh, a Brian De Palma movie. And there was a scene where Scarface watches his friend get chainsawed and cut up to death. But you don't see it happening. You just see this. You just see Scarface's face and blood splatter and and the sounds. But you don't see. Right. You have to make that connection. And I think that's one of the fun things about comics that yeah. I got to do with this story. Yeah, that, that, um, that reminds me in um in Quentin Tarantino's in Reservoir Dogs. I think the scene where they cut off the cops ear they shot it both ways one where they show it and one where they don't and i think the the cut that made the film was where they start to they 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 cut away yeah and then you kind of hear him screaming but you don't actually it you know you don't actually see it being done yeah and that's the same type of concept and um yeah i think when you're able to do that with comics um in in terms of panel to panel it is more powerful to have the the readers kind of own imagination kind of take over and fill in the the gaps between the panels. And that was drawn by Danny who did coffin bound, who did the recent uh, Arkham uh, book with Dan waters Mm -hmm. and it, it, and then with Brad Simpson's colors and uh, Pat Brousseau's letters, it is by far my strongest work in 10 pages. And it's because of everyone. Do bringing such an energy to it because mm-hmm. uh, Alex Anton said, you know, he presented all these scripts to Danny, and Danny picked this one, right? And she just made the coolest costumes, and it's all inspired by the like Lucha Libre, a lot of the cruiserweight um, wrestlers uh, from the '90s uh, with WCW, like Rey Mysterio, Ultimo Dragon, um, and and now. Um, Thunder Rosa from from AEW, um, and it it is incredible. It is so I cannot wait for people to see it. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm a big fan of uh, of Danny's work um, with Dan Waters again in, in Coffin Bound. I mean, that's I think that's a, a phenomenal comic. So yeah, I cannot wait to see that. That's Creep Show number four, right? Yeah, that's coming out on December 28th. Awesome, awesome. Well, folks, by the time they hear this, they'll be able to go out and uh, pick that up. Um, and so, I mean, I, I, I don't want to, I mean, I, I know that's a, enough for, for one person to type a kind of handle, but, um, well, you're also working on house of slay. Yeah. So my good friends, um, you know, at, um, EES studios and, um, it came in at a perfect time when I was laid off. Uh, I did a story where these amazing characters that are, you know, I think what, what's, what's cool about house of slay is um, they have the, you know, the, the hindsight of 2020 to make superheroes intentionally relevant and mm-hmm. talk about things that are happening. And you have these, this, this group of um, 
it's basically uh, Crazy Rich Asians meets the Justice League. You know, it's these right. very cool personalities, these people that are advocates are, in their own right. That, are they designers uh, or influencers? They're designers, there's influencers, or you know, okay. fashion uh, staples, you know, people like that will go down in history in the fashion world. And I got to play with those toys. And they really gave me room to have fun with the Mesoamerican themes that I've been exploring. And mm-hmm. uh, that's coming out through Tapas and Webtoon. And um, it's going to, I mean, I cannot wait to see the art. I haven't seen it yet, but it's 20 pages. And uh, I don't know how that's going to translate in weeks and stuff. Because I mean, and that's the other thing I'm trying to pivot into is more um, vertical scrolling and uh, uh, webcomic uh, stuff, which is, you know, kind of tapping into what I'm doing with Gil Thorpe. Right. And how long has Gil Thorpe been going on? Because I was reading some of that getting ready for this. And um, <laughs> how long has that been going on? And I Next I, year's I love- the 65th anniversary. <laughs> I, created by Jack Brill. Um, yeah, I, that's, uh, I mean, I love seeing something that you're like, oh, is there, is this, is this now? Is this, and it still has that kind of look of like the newspaper comic strip, um, you know, uh, in like a web tune, web comic format. Um, like, a, yeah, I, I just, I really enjoyed the, uh, the, couple of i don't know if it was weeks because you know you go through whenever they're posted um it was really a lot of fun good i'm glad you found it fun i'm also yeah i know i didn't mean to interrupt just also like really like diverse characters and like you know that's what i like to read i don't want to read stories about somebody like me i've heard those stories i want to know i want to know somebody who's living in a part of the world that i know nothing about with a culture and customs i know nothing about i want to know about their life i want to know how they tell yeah. stories yeah you know yeah i mean it, gil thorpe is definitely the opposite of what you just said uh as a character who is a you know a white guy yeah who runs a athletics program at milford high but is i mean i'm, I'm really trying to play him off like cool hand luke like Don Draper meets Ted Lasso, mm-hmm. you know, and that's the goal is to do like a Ted Lasso like story where this man is killing it on the field. People love him for the work, the things he's doing for the youth and the community and for the thing that Milford is pr- most proud of, of its high school uh, program of high school sports programs. And then at home, he's not. He's not like the best husband because he's never home because he's always coaching he's not the best dad because he's always coaching and i think there is like you know a a level of dedication that everybody has to their work and a lot of the times your work defines who you are and that's what this character is all about he is all about being the coach of this high school Mm -hmm. after 64 years what does he have to say and give outside of that? And how does he recognize how important the things he's done? And I'm having a blast doing this with this character. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it seems, um, I mean, that seems kind of, um, uh, you know, it can, it can be uh, a fun 
job. Um, like you said, you, you really enjoy doing it, but, um, I mean, the kind of like the emotional turns of those characters though, um, is it difficult sometimes to kind of like dig into that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, every day I think about how am I going to ruin this dude's life? (laughs) And, and then it gets kind of tiring, you know, you're like, Oh, I want him to have a win, but in a story perspective, the loss is the bigger win, you know, mm-hmm. and and how you, you know, I, I love that that line in Rocky where he's like, it's not about how hard you get hit. It's how you keep getting up when you get hit, you know, where it's like, <laughs> you, like, it's that that's life. Like how, yeah. you know, I've had a I, I had Jimmy. I've had one of the best years of my life. But it's also been one of the worst years of my life because I've lost someone really close to me through suicide. And if you're listening to this and you're having those, you know, thoughts, please reach out and get help because, um, you know, it's one of the worst things, you know, to have to endure, you know. So um, that 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 event this year has really just pushed me to be like. As much as I'd love to work full time for Top Cow again, I have to do. I gave them six years of my life, you know. And right. I, I now I'm flipping the energy that I've put into other people's work, and now trying to do that for myself. Right. I'm sorry to hear about the loss of your um, your friend. Oh, thank you. I appreciate it. But it, it, you know, it's one of those things where, like, that's what I'm channeling in this story, in this in this strip. You know, like. How do I deal with, how do we all deal with life? It's about real people. There's so much reality tethered to this comic strip, you know, whether it be the sports rules, the, the, the people in the comic, the, the, the setting, it's really interesting to, um, to deal with all that and to deal with the baggage of like very, has a very dedicated, loyal fan base. Mm-hmm. And I want to keep those people happy, but at the same time, I'm, I'm introducing people of color. I'm introducing, um, you know, trans characters, non-binary, right. um, conforming characters, because that's the that's the the I think the life that we all have to, uh, you know, reckon with. Right, and it's it's very prevalent in schools right now, as we just talked about with gender queer. You know, it's inescapable. And it's the kind of thing I think Gil needs to confront and to have to, you know, he has a dog in his fight and I, and I want him to make an opinion about it because he would have to, if he was a real guy, I mean, I've been talking to coaches and they have to deal with these things. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, it's not, not just coaches. I, I, you know, I have a lot of friends that have, struggled with the same things i'm a i'm a lawyer and i a lot of friends that i went to law school with who work a lot later hours than i do i'm kind of fairly lucky in terms of the hours i work but you do you know do banking hours uh yeah more more or less i mean i've always kind of been like eight um eight eight to six you know kind Mm -hmm. of what kind of uh, law do you practice now i'm I've, i've done a lot of different things currently i work for a firm i do personal injury Oh. Yeah, um, workers' comp, that type of uh, stuff. But I've done in 16 years, I've done, a, I've, I've probably handled one of every type of case. Um, wow. But uh, 
but yeah, I've just, I, I went from one firm to another about six months ago and I do back to personal injury, which is where I started my career. But I have friends who work for big firms and they work, you know, all day and night and weekends and struggle with the same thing in terms of, you know, are they just their job? Are they just the work that they're doing? And everyone at the firm really loves them, but you know, they have a wife and kids that they hardly ever see. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's what I'm. Yeah. And I hope that's the, not only resonates with those types of people, but also with children and kids are going to school to be like, yeah, my life is not easy either. And it's not, there's like, you know, a lot of different things that kids are dealing with psychologically that we don't even talk about. And it's been, you know, it's been an eye-opening experience for me to be more, uh, you know, empathetic of these situations that I didn't have to deal with. I did deal with cyberbullying and those kinds of things, but now it's a different, it, it has become a different beast. Yeah. Yeah, I definitely think it has. I worry my, my kids are 10 and 5. And, oh, my you know, gosh. Yeah. I mean, those are so great my, ages. They are. They are. My kids are my two. I have two daughters and oh. yeah, they're great. But, you know, but you know, kids can be jerks. Yeah, kids can be jerks. And I don't want I don't want other kids to treat my kids, you know, poorly. And I, I don't I also don't want my kid to end up being the bully either. Yeah. yeah. You know, you want them to walk that fine line. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> don't um, be too mean, but be mean when you have to be mean, <laughs> you know. Yeah, it's hard. And then also you like when you're a parent, you know, you deal with uh all the crap that you dealt with as a kid, like when you were picked on and then mm-hmm. you know, that's the then you're overprotective about things or you're yeah. you're wary and you know, uh there's you know, uh, there's just there's just there's a lot of potholes. Um oh, totally. I mean with food you know, and I mean with all the 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 illness that's going around with kids. It's funny how we went from COVID doesn't affect kids to like, there is this thing that is like making only kids sick. Yeah. And it's yeah. just, it's just horrible, you know? And I, I'm very lucky that I have, I do not have children and I really feel for the people that do. And I, and I love, I love kids and I get along with them really well. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do like the distance we have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, I know I, I get it. It's not easy sometimes. And yeah. at least, at least like, you know, and especially in the early days of the pandemic, I was still going to the office cause nobody else was. And my, Perfect. my, my, my wife is a professional photographer. So her business was shut down for a number oh, of months, but so she sorry. was home. She was home with the kids. And, um, I would like work from home on Fridays, but um, that would just be, I would just stay home and like try and give her a break on Fridays. Yeah, I'm a terrible yeah. work from home person. I work at work and I, I home at home. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. No, I, as a freelancer, I've been working from home for a long time. And that was one of the, yeah. the advantages comics had in the right. pandemic was we've been do we've been operating our lives as if the world was completely shut down. <laughs> Sure, sure. Um, well, Henry, uh, I cannot thank you enough for um, for coming on today. I have very much enjoyed talking to you. I I'm a big fan of Helm Gray Castle. Um, uh, I can't and wait. We didn't even to... talk about that. Yeah, I know. And we didn't even really talk about that. Um, so I I'm gonna have we got to do it on. again. I, I'm gonna have, to have you back on so we can talk about Helm Gray Castle. 
I didn't even get to ask you. I want to talk about uh, what you thought of the National Constitution Center. That was the, I think, the picture I saw you in in Philly. Oh, when I was uh, when I was at the uh, Library of Congress holding Superman number one and Batman number one. And... Is that the one? No, I oh, think no. you were when the I National at... Constitution Center. You were with Ben Franklin. Yes, yes. Uh, my girlfriend and I, Alexa, we are. She's a huge history buff. Okay. And we uh, went to Philadelphia and just basically geeked out for six hours. Oh, nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I went to school in Philly and I'm, I'm right in, in, I'm right just south in Wilmington, Delaware now. But so you've um, been up there. Oh, yeah. 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 I've been up there. Um, uh, yeah. I, I love going to Philadelphia. I can't wait till my girls are like a little older and we can start doing more of the, the, the Philadelphia. I know the 10 year old will enjoy stuff. it. Um, the five year old won't remember it. Yeah. But yeah. I'm bummed. I can't, I couldn't touch the Liberty Bell, but it was, it was cool to see it. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, let's, uh, let's do this again. I mean, I, I, I know there's more Helm Gray Castle coming. I just need to make time to write it. Yeah. And uh, yeah, Top Cow's excited to do it again. Awesome. Yeah. So well, there is more Helm Gray Castle. I'm going to do a prequel though. Uh, I know I left everyone off on, on a, on a cliffhanger, but I, I'm excited to turn it. Uh, I'm excited to tie it all together. It's because I have a great idea. I think cool. it's good. I think it's a good idea. But yeah, um, yeah. I, I really like. But I really like Helm Gray Castle. And then, so we'll have to have you back talk about Helm Gray Castle. And then you you said you did stand up comedy for four years. And as a as a huge stand up comedy fan, I I, I got to talk uh, stand up comedy <laughs> next time you're on. So. Oh my gosh, I love stand up. I was just watching a Maria Bamford bit on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Uh, she says, <laughs> uh, we'll talk about that. It was, yeah, Jimmy, it was, uh, I'm so glad we did this. Love your show. You've had a lot of my friends on your show and, um, it, it's good to put a face to the name and, and it's good. And I'm very honored to be on it and I appreciate the conversation. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. Um, and I, I just, I'm uh, a big fan, so I'm very Thank excited you. for all the stuff that you have uh, coming out. I'm just impressed by your writing, but also, uh, you know, your heart, your advocacy. And um, Thank you. Yeah, I, I wish you nothing but uh, success. And please, yeah, come back. Uh, come back on. And so everyone listening, make sure if you haven't read Helm Grey Castle, please do it. And then you can tell me how right I was that it's fantastic. <laughs> and um, uh, if you're a big Etrigan fan like me, try and find and pick up or get digitally Batman Urban Legends number 18. Check your local library. My local library has a ton of comic books. Uh, yeah, shout out to yeah. the, De- the Delaware Public Library. <laughs> I read so many comics through there. I but, mean, uh, Hoopla, Digital, Overdrive. Yeah. yeah. It's great. And um, yeah, look for Creep Show number four in House of Slay. But um, Henry, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Jimmy. All right. And so for Comic Book Yeti, I'm Jimmy Gasparro. Please rate, review. Uh, Byron says it helps. And um, uh, you know, and Byron's <laughs> well, Byron smart, says, "Go so try and do it." <laughs> yeah, that's right. So, um, so thank you very much for listening, and I will, uh, I will see you next time. This is Byron O'Neill, one of your hosts of the Cryptid Creator Corner, brought to you by Comic Book Yeti. We hope you've enjoyed this episode of our podcast. Please rate, review, subscribe, all that good stuff. It lets us know how we are doing, and more importantly, how we can improve. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of the Cryptid Creator Corner, maybe you would enjoy our sister podcast, Into the Comics Cave. 
listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts.